The AWS for Software Companies podcast, episode 26, driving a culture of innovation through optimization, featuring software leaders from Appen, Coinbase, Rapid7, and AWS. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS for Software Companies podcast, where we speak to software leaders around the world about their journeys to the cloud, overcoming obstacles, and the role that Amazon Web Services play in their success. Today, we feature a panel discussion from the AWS for Software Companies Executive Forum at reInvent, featuring software leaders from Appen, Coinbase, Rapid7, and AWS, sharing strategies and best practices to optimize their businesses and free up budgets, enabling further software innovations. All right, welcome everyone to Innovate to Optimize. I'm Sri Ratnasinghe. I lead our AWS North America CSM team responsible for driving successful customer outcomes for and with you. I also lead a number of our technical modernization uh, and gen AI initiatives. Now, it could be said that 2023 has been the year of optimization. And when we think about optimization, it is looking at optimizing costs, gaining efficiencies, both in software and SaaS costs, also in employee productivity and labor efficiency gains with generative AI, and the bottom line, reducing the cost of goods sold and having an impact on revenue and margins. Now, Gartner's recent study has said that over 80% of CFOs plan to increase digital spend in the coming years, and another 11% plan to hold technology spend flat. So it's clear with this situation that over the next few years, software companies will need to continue to balance investing for future innovations capitalizing on the generative AI wave and benefits for customers in expansion with continuing to optimize financially. So at AWS, we are very proud to partner with a set of thought leaders from our customers who have been working with us and partnering with us to turn financial headwinds into new horizons for their products and their customers, and excited to hear what they have to share with us today. So I'd like to introduce Bobby Smith, who is Vice President of Engineering and Platform at Appen, Sumant Sukumar, Vice President of Engineering at Coinbase, and Elaine Hardwick, who is Director of Software Engineering at Rapid7. So I'd like to start with you, Elaine. I know that at Rapid7, we talked about your story, and you really had to balance optimization and efficiencies with new feature development. So maybe you could share with our audience how optimization helped you all innovate at a greater pace. 
Sure. We took a kind of a different approach when we started looking at our optimization efforts. We realized that we needed to produce features quickly and efficiently for our customers. And we knew that we wanted to do things where we were doing this at scale. So when we're looking at what we can accomplish with cost optimization programs, you can look at right sizing, you can look at Graviton, you can look at a variety of different factors where you could reduce your cost. The problem with that that we found was it wasn't reducing it at the rate that we needed in order to be able to make the investment in the features that we really wanted to push. So we created a team um, of solution architects and developers and kind of made them our group that focused on cost optimization patterns, architectural best practices and standards, and helped kind of shape a new culture at Rapid7 where we could drive cost efficiencies as well as give our developers back some of their free time in order to really focus on those features and enabling them to succeed in that rollout. And, and I really like that focus on developer success and automation of the patterns very much. So Bobby, having successfully optimized costs at Appen, how has that given you the financial liberation to then channel more resources into new initiatives like Gen AI? Yeah, the way I would look at it and start is basically, I, I, I joined Appen in July of 2022. So I've been there a little over a year, year and a half. And when I first got there, one of the things that I observed and looked at was our costs seem much, much higher than what they should be for what we're doing. And so I worked with the teams and as I started digging in, it was clear these are experts, they're certified, they've been doing everything needed for cost optimization, but I knew there was more we could do. So we started working together on things and trying to build out a program, working with AWS as an example. And we were decreasing costs. We were, we were essentially reducing costs and, and, and making those efforts, but it was going slow. And one thing we did was built up a program and fortunately we got sponsorship from the executives in March of this year after we knew we were in a position we had identified enough that we said, hey, we can reduce our cost in half. We can cut it in half. And from March to April, we literally, we did that. So we saved millions of dollars and, and, and essentially thousands of, of dollars a, a day. Now, the thing about the financial liberation in doing that, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of the things we did to reduce those costs later, is we still need to contain cost. It isn't like we freed up these millions of dollars and can now reinvest them back into AWS. We're like all other companies with the macroeconomic conditions right now saying, okay, what can we do with these savings? So what we saw, however, in moving so fast is actually, it was more than just dollars we were saving. In looking at metrics like the Dora metrics, for example, lead time, deployment frequency, change failure rate, MTTR, all those improved significantly after, after these efforts. And what we gained was really the currency of time. And that currency of time allowed us to start looking at other places where we could spend that time focusing on generative AI, for example. We were early with Bedrock. We were part of the preview and AWS invited us to be part of the Generative AI Innovation Center and we've been working on projects there 
and continuing to look for ways to invest that time we have. And then also at the same time as we're going, we are looking at things. We want to keep things at a steady state. We want to keep it flat for now as we're looking to, to grow. And so we, we do look at areas like, okay, perhaps we'll buy these savings plans or we'll do these RIs and the money we'll save there, we'll reinvest that. But the majority of what we're doing with that financial liberation is we gain that currency of, of time. You get the gift of time. And I really like what you said about making it a continuous practice. It's not a one and done thing. You weave it throughout the fabric of the organization. Exactly. It becomes part of the culture and what people are, are doing there in terms of, of the savings and, and ensuring that anything that we do, we're thinking about, you know, what are the costs? Of course, you're going to do well architected and, and follow that. And cost is a, is a huge part of that and making it part of the culture is so important. Excellent, excellent. So Samant, first I wanna say also congratulations because Coinbase has had some really exciting announcements over the last several months, ranging from international expansion to Web3 wallet and, and more. So you've had several major product launches. Tell us more about how Coinbase has been reinvesting and innovating for the future. Thank you for the question. So one of the first things that we think about is just the reliability of our service itself. And so having the flexibility that Amazon gives us in terms of the, the geographic reach and the, and the set of services that you have, those give us the flexibility that we need. And that's important because the industry that we're in, in crypto, there is a quite a lot of volatility, and we need to move quickly to take advantage of that. And so that's, a, that's an important focus for us. So you mentioned international expansion. That's a big area of uh, investment and focus for us. And that means having options outside the U.S. Uh, where we can bring up capacity, for example. That's important for us. Uh, in terms of uh, being able to scale up really quickly, that is important for us as well. One of the other areas for innovation has been, as, as you know, the topic of the day, Gen AI. It's something that we're investing with AWS as well, and uh, particularly Bedrock, being able to have a, a variety of models that we can run, uh, and it also gives us the safety where we can send our proprietary data uh, to a VPC that we control and be assured that, that it's going to be safe. So that's an, another important area as well. So having said that, the, the more fundamental, uh, being able to optimize now that we are, we're doing the optimization, we really don't see a, as much of a trade-off there. We, as, as Bobby said earlier, having, um, looking at optimization itself as an innovative opportunity is how we've looked at it. For example, we've looked at our stack from the top to bottom and we're modernizing that stack, and along that way, along, during the process of modernization, we're finding opportunities to optimize as well. Uh, for example, as we shift a lot of our workloads to Kubernetes and, and EKS, we are able to pack better and increase our CPU utilization. So those are uh, cases where it's really no, you know, it's really the same thing. Optimization and innovation are really two uh, facets of the same thing. And, and that creates a cultural tone throughout the organization that I've seen in all three of your companies where you see this, hey, I can innovate while optimizing and be rewarded for it too, which is very interesting. So Elaine, 
with respect to optimization and innovation, what has worked well within your program and what would you say is still an opportunity for further improvement? Yeah, so I think the first thing is when when we first looked at this problem, one of the things that we were doing was we had a team of people that were looking at our cost, identifying key opportunities, and then just messaging people, right? I'm sure everyone else has been there. Um, people hated those people. They were not fun. It was not a, an enjoyable experience. And people got really turned off from cost optimization because of that. So what we looked to do instead was really empower the developers, right? Get them the data around their services and their products and make sure that they understand that the cost, opti cost optimizations that they are making are really affecting the customers and their bottom line, right? And then having the ability to reinvest some of the stuff that they have saved kind of gave them that ownership and that, that self of, like, I can do this, right? Um, the second thing that worked really well for us was getting some senior leadership buy-in, right? We have a monthly newsletter that goes out and shows the top individual contributors that have made the most cost optimizations, and we also have the teams that have, which is great. So people can really see who's making a conscious effort into um, reducing their, their cost and making things more efficient. And then we also have something called a cost-a-thon that we do, which was really fun um, because it's kind of like a hackathon if you've ever done that, but it's really focusing on innovating and driving modernization. And then as well with that cost um, mindset, right? So how can we make things a little bit more efficient? I don't know about y'all, but at Rapid7, we really, really, really enjoy a little bit of competition. So that worked really well for us and has been really successful over time. I think some of the things that we may not have done or like that we need to keep iterating on and improving upon is just continuing to champion this cost conscious culture, right? This is something that we really value and we really wanna keep um, motivating our engineers to develop and um, continuing to modernize our fleet. So we want them to be really focused on that and we just wanna keep pushing the envelope there. Like well, now I gotta ask, cause I'm really curious, were there prizes for the Costathon? There were prizes, which was very fun, yes. Um, they got to choose basically from a list and people were very passionate about the range of prizes. So um, this year we had a very wide range and people got to pick from a multitude of different things, which was also fun to see what people were excited about. So that was good too. Very exciting and like you really had the opportunity to gamify it. Um, Bobby, Sumanta, any other learnings from, from your companies that you would like to add? Yeah, I'd say we took somewhat a similar approach to what Elaine was talking about. Um, I would say that besides having the high-level agreement, having clear goals and visibility across all the different levels, whether it is a line manager or an executive, being able to provide the visibility for uh, exactly how much cost their products may be costing, um, one of the other pieces is that making it very easy for people to action on this. So they know what they have today and where they need to get to, but actually providing the knowledge, the tools to, to act on it and being able to quickly achieve that, that was very important to keep the pace, to keep it going. And then you touched on it a bit as well, making it permanent. You know, it's, it's one thing to get it, uh, cut costs, make it efficient, but how do you make it permanent? How do you make it a habit? How do you make it culture? That's the part, I think that's a very important piece that as you design your program, you have to think about as well. 
And it's, not a, it's also not a one-shot thing. It's something that you keep working on. So that is the phase that we're in now and you know, really looking forward to how that's going to plan, pan out. Yeah, I think I would add to that and just hearing what both Samanth and Elaine said. I love what Elaine pointed out and just I want to put emphasis on the two key ingredients there that I heard is the sponsorship at the executive level and then empowering the teams, empowering the organization. Because of course, when you're, you're looking for people that you're gonna hire, you want folks that are AWS certified. You want them to have experience with cost optimization. You're gonna bring those folks in. But if you don't have the support and you're not empowering the teams, then it's really difficult for them to move forward. So like in the apping case, it was, we didn't do cost thons. I love that idea, by the way. But what we did is we actually formed a cost tiger team. And so that was a cross-functional team of platform engineers, site reliability engineers, software developers, product owner, folks that knew the systems and, and were very familiar with what was needed to, to drive costs down, to optimize. And then they were empowered through that executive sponsorship. And the way I looked at it, coming back to those 30 days of driving our costs down and then continuing to work on it because it's something you're always doing. But as we were working through this as an organization, it wasn't just, so we had this tiger team, but then the whole organization was empowered saying, we're going to do this. And it was as if we were going to go win the World Cup, for example. All the wins along the way were helping us reach that goal. And, and we were celebrating the team, essentially, for what they were doing. And so it was that sponsorship and then that empowerment that allowed us to do it. Yeah, I wanna uh, sort of plus one on the, having that central team with the expertise. So we also had at the core of our program, a team that had a lot of expertise on Amazon and AWS and cloud technologies. And they were the ones that were able to provide that leverage and the knowledge and the support for the rest of our engineering teams to go in action on, on these opportunities that, that uh, we identified. Yeah, definitely what I'm hearing is all of your cost optimization programs were very cross-functional efforts. Everybody, all the functions are in the boat for them to, to be successful. A couple of other things along those lines, like you mentioned the cost-a-thon, the hackathon. Uh, we have a program at AWS I'd call out for our software company customers as well, and it's called an experience-based accelerator. And it's a very immersive, typically three-day hackathon-style party where we come to you, you bring together the cross-functional experts, and we really focus on specific financial optimization goals. But the ultimate goal is not just to save costs during that period, but really to grow the cross-functional understanding and enablement on FinOps practices. You want that change and that enablement to be, to be lasting. So with that, so Bobby, working closely with AWS, I know has offered you probably some unique insights and, and opportunities. Could you talk about how the partnership has kind of amplified Appen's ability to both 
innovate in cost savings, which we talked about, but then redirect those to bolster innovation in the Gen AI space. Because I know that's so important for what you do because you have this whole data and analytics foundation as a company mm -hmm. for Gen AI. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been working with AWS for a number of years and the customer obsession always just rings true. Uh, how many companies do you work with that you actually say, hey, we're going to reduce our costs in half to, you say that to the account manager and they're like, let's go. And in fact, it wasn't a let's go at that moment. It's more of, we're going to be there with you and help you build the plan, essentially. So what are some examples of where AWS was inside of there? So everybody, I think, has the experience, if you're looking to optimize costs, you have that long tail of all of those things that you go, when am I ever going to get to that as an organization? When will we ever get to that? And so we identified all of those things and what we started doing with AWS in partnership with them is finding ways, first they helped us identify and then we started working on it as a team. And the way we, we did it, and this is kind of like the, the cost-a-thon approach and another example there is, is saying, okay, if it will save $100 a day and we can time box these things, let's go after it and let's focus. If you identify 10 of those and pull them off quickly, that's $1,000 a day that you save. Then we went to 75 and 50 and 25 eventually to address those. So that's one example is AWS helping us find that long tail of things, those hidden places where we could save so we could execute on it. The other thing that they really came in there and helped us with kind of a unique problem to Appen is, so Appen, we provide data to our customers for their AI needs. So in order to do that, we have a global crowd of workers. And those workers are essentially looking to earn money. They're seeking jobs to, to help our customers on their, their AI-related journeys. And as we started adding metrics in to look to where we could save and also improve performance, we noticed this huge discrepancy of the number of jobs that were being assigned to our million-plus workers looking and in, in taxing the system trying to get jobs. And as we started pulling on that thread more and more, we kept going down a path where we're saying, okay, we're way over-provisioned because of this in multiple areas. And in that, our technical account manager, solutions architects were coming in, helping us, getting us in contact with the right people who could help us re-architect things in a way where we could work ourselves out of that. So for example, web application firewall, we brought that in to do rate limiting. And there was a number of other things that we did along the way with the help and partnership of AWS. But at the end of that effort, we reduced our compute costs by 80% and our database costs by 70%, which was a huge, um, I would say, accomplishment in, in terms of getting to our goal with AWS. So that's the cost savings. And now, how do we start moving into investing into generative AI and how is AWS helping there? Well, same thing, same experience with AWS and that customer obsession coming in and saying, how can we help you? Let's, let's 
help you with an enablement and adoption of Code Whisperer, for example. So multiple sessions there to enable our developers. Also, uh, when it comes to generative AI, so Bedrock, for example, I mentioned that earlier. We, you know, we were part of the preview, and then we got invited to participate in the Generative AI Innovation Center. And so we've been working on a use case there. We just had a, a press release that went out about it. So what that is essentially is when you're looking at that global crowd of workers, how do you assess them? How do you ensure that they have the domain-specific knowledge to work on the various initiatives that our customers have when they're trying to get that, that data? That's a perfect use case for Generative AI. Previously, we needed to create quizzes by hand. So multiple hours spent on, on generating questions and answers. And then once they're out there, potentially people could share them. They're passed around. Now with, with Bedrock, we essentially we can generate these assessments on the fly. So multiple choice questions, questions and answers. And we've already started with multiple domains, so finance, machine learning, coding, moving into other areas like medical, et cetera, healthcare, et cetera. And that is in partnership with AWS, bringing, bringing us in and having us be there with them in the, the Generative AI Innovation Center to work on use cases like that. And there's many, many more we could think of already that we would want to do with our crowd. As an example, as we look to have generative AI into our products and services, and at the same time, help our customers on their generative AI journeys. And, and Bobby, I'm glad you mentioned the Generative AI Innovation Center because we partnered through the Innovation Center with a number of customers on really bringing their ideas and use cases to life as well as the whole ML ops life cycle. So that's, um, that's a really interesting thing. And then I just want to double down a bit on Code Whisper, which is our code generation service. And What's really interesting about it is, you know, you talk about efficiency, and that's another way to generate efficiency and developer productivity as well. It's not all just on the cloud cost component. It's how does the labor force as a whole become more efficient, generate more secure code that's in line with your corporate coding engineering standards. Yeah, again, that comes back to that currency of time. So focusing on developer productivity there, giving them more time to work on other things with higher value so we can focus on our core competencies and what's core to us as a business. I love that example of generating the quizzes globally yeah. with different languages and so forth. So now I want to come to skills, and all three of you have global organizations serve in global markets with a global footprint. What types of skills, investments, and changes did you and your team implement to accomplish some of these optimization and efficiency goals? And, you know, would love to hear from uh, Elaine and, and uh, Samant. Yeah. Wanna go first? All right. So, I mean, first of all, I want to set some of the context of uh, in around mid of 2022, Coinbase had been coming off of several years of a huge amount of growth. 
And particularly around the pandemic, we had an amazing amount of growth and a huge amount of uh, traffic. So our focus is very much about growth. And then around the middle of 2022, when we saw the market shift and the and crypto winter began, it, we saw it as an opportunity for us to really optimize our stack and get ready and use that opportunity to get ready for the next wave of growth for us. And as we looked at the, those looked at our stack and looked at where are the areas that we could we could pro- get that efficiency, we needed a set of new skills. And that, that was something that we worked with AWS on uh, using the well-architected framework, et cetera. Our cloud team, um, our CCOE team particularly, took the lead on becoming that conduit between uh, AWS and the rest of Coinbase translating those skills and finding those opportunities in terms of right-sizing, uh, whether that it's compute or databases or storage, taking those skills and then diffusing them throughout our organization through a variety of different mechanisms. So that was a very important piece of that. Uh, in terms of culture, I would say we also spent a lot of time explaining the why, why are we doing this, and uh, as well as recognizing people when, when, this, when we hit our goals. We had some very ambitious goals. If you look at around the mid-2022 mid timeframe to now, we've taken about 80% of our, our infra cost out. So, and, our, and our volumes have stayed the same have, or, or have grown up, gone up uh, during that period. So it's been extremely successful, uh, again, thanks to the partnership. So that's, uh, that sort of gives you a, a, a picture of, of how we did it. Uh, we have a blog that uh, our cloud team has put out together with AWS, and maybe we can uh, put a link to, the, to it in the show notes. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's, because I was interesting what you said, Samantha, about the crypto winter, and yet you got, you got it as a way to bring up morale and teach people new skills even in that time, which is really interesting and in moving towards that cloud native architecture and the efficiencies that that brings. Excellent. Yeah, I think I had a similar experience too. Like our, our growth was very strong for a long period of time and I feel like that allowed us to continue to optimate Optim- or innovate, wow, um, over time, right? So we were just focusing on rolling out new features and, and really releasing new code for our customers and getting more security enablement. But we hadn't spent the time to go back and really look at our architecture as a whole. And so this was a really good opportunity for us to sit there and look across our entire platform and say, okay, where are the right patterns and how are we using these patterns in the best way and where can we take these learnings and apply them across the board? So we had a bunch of people that went out and really found the best patterns and the best architecture and worked with AWS in order to make sure that we were using the right tool sets. You were talking a while ago about what AWS allows for. It allows for a variety of different technologies, right, across a variety of different fields and a bunch of experts in each of those that we can tap into, which was very helpful. And then we also had the ability to kind of what you were saying, like tap into that culture of collaboration and fostering that that change in morale, right? Like that excitement about how we can really improve that platform as a whole. So that's what I would say. You really turned it into a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Anything you wanted to add? Yeah. So, you know, I love what they're saying. It's always interesting how much we can all relate to one another. And you, you hear people saying things that you go, wow, that sounds like, like me in our company. So when I look at the, the skills, of course, we've already talked about, you know, bringing folks in who are certified on AWS and have the experience with production workloads on AWS and optimizing cost around there. Um, infrastructure as code, of course, and people who know all about tagging and the various strategies that you need to use, um, savings plan strategies, RI strategies, all of that. You need those people. I think another thing that's very important that sometimes doesn't get talked about as much is having people that are business analysts or minded in that way, have an affinity towards it. So identify people within your teams that are willing to work on cloud intelligence dashboards or get into to cost explorer and build out all the reports that you need for the various areas so you can have the visibility into what's going on because that's such a key aspect and if you can do that in a way where you also have skills where now that you have full visibility into what's going on you can drive programs around all right how do we drive costs down in certain area or optimize i should say because it's not all about you know i keep mentioning drive costs down but it, it's more about reducing costs containing costs and optimizing and then kind of working in that all all the time and having that visibility there is such a key aspect to it and then driving programs around it. And then the other things in terms of, of culture is just viewing it in a way like we were talking about improving morale with it. I refer to it as, hey, we're winning the World Cup because sometimes you go into to companies like when I came into Appen and, and even though the folks were certified and had been optimizing, a lot of the response I got when I was asking questions of why are our costs so high, they'd say, we've done everything we can do. We're optimized. We're good. But then it's like, how do you move out of that? How do you get people to believe and reset and with those same individuals then go do something magical? And it does take programs like what the other panelists are talking about to improve the morale to, to do that. And then again, that sponsorship at the executive level to really get that support to do it. And that's all part of the, the culture within an organization. It's, it's a big cultural shift in FinOps, you know, thinking about this data and how to improve financial performance. It's like DevOps, it is continuous by definition. It's not a one undone. You're constantly looking to iterate and, and improve. So. One final question for our, for our panel. You know, as, as software companies, we think about future roadmap, and there are always roadmap trade-offs um, that are inherent between new feature function and optimization. So would like to get your perspective on how you think about that, maybe through the lens of a, a trade-off example that you've had to make in the, in the past and how you approached it. Yeah, I can go. Um, <clears throat> so as I mentioned earlier, by and large, we haven't had to make a trade-off between efficiency and optimization and uh, innovation. However, there are specific areas where there may be concerns about optimization hurting other, other things that you care about. 
Uh, for example, we care about being ready for peaks, sudden surges and spikes in traffic, which tends to happen quite a lot in our industry. And so we do a lot of work on load testing and scaling up uh, traffic and seeing how the stack responds. So when you do that, you, don't, you, you, you rely on auto-scaling, of course, but that may not be sufficient. There are cases where you may have to have a certain amount of reserve capacity. But how do you decide how much reserve capacity do you need? Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of an art and a science, right? So these are the kind of concerns where we work with our partners, help uh, both of us think through uh, how do we both of us think through just what kind of framework would we use in order to make these sort of decisions so that the product teams are comfortable with what we have uh, and, and we can assure them that we can actually handle spikes and, and sudden surges without outages to the site. So that's a, I would use that as one of the examples. Yeah. And, and it's giving, giving everyone that confidence too. It's very critical. Yeah, I mean, a similar thing, like you're, you're talking, but like you can also look at the amount of data you're storing, right? That's another thing that we always have to think about is like how long are you going to store that data for versus um, how much money are you going to spend storing that data for when you might need it. Um, we've also done a lot of things where maybe someone's using a certain flavor of um, EC2-based instances or something, and we want to migrate them into the Kubernetes world on a particular um, standard architectural path and it's whether or not we want to roll out a new feature or a new service with the old way that they're familiar with versus moving to the new path and we have to weigh what makes the right sense for the customer and, and that feature at that point in time. So that's another example. Yeah, that's a great example. That's an area where it's close to what we do because we provide data to our yeah. customers so we have so much data so how do you strike that right balance of you know, retaining that data versus having the retention policies that are going to have that data go away or put it in storage that is less costly, et cetera, et cetera. So that's something we certainly have to work on all the time. I think some of the trade-offs that I look at for us is in some ways, what I call it a trade-off or just trying to be smart in terms of how we're using resources because We've gone through this period in the industry where everybody's so trained to, to build these environments that have the best fault tolerance and the high availability and ensure that you're building these very resilient systems. And so you get these individuals coming in with these skills that have that mindset of, let's build this. But then when you start looking at it and looking at the needs of your business, you can ask the question of, is that too much? Are we doing too much? And sometimes you can actually be in that position where, where maybe you're doing more than what you need to do in order to provide an amazing experience for your customers, because that's first, and then ensuring that you can achieve your business outcomes. And so that's some of the trade-offs we needed to make is just go through everything and say, do we need that? Do we truly need it? And in some cases, we would look at different ways we were um, creating development environments and the way we were using those and launching them. And, and we do have automation around that, but sometimes they were longer lived than they should be or, or people were just using more than they should. So just kind of streamlining that allowed us to save costs. So that was kind of one area where we had trade-offs of just having that big question of, 
do we really need these things that we have? And, and maybe we should look at it more closely to go, how can we give our customers that experience that they deserve and need and, and expect? And then how can we achieve our, our business outcomes? Very, very thoughtful. And I just want to you know, thank all of you for the lessons and learnings that you shared. Some of really, the, we have key takeaways that the process of optimization itself can be extremely innovative. We, we shouldn't think about this as two separate things. We can move to a cloud-native architecture, build new skills in the organizations, and I think a lot for those in the audience to think about in terms of that top-down leadership support and creating that culture of continuous improvement and investment and then making it fun through, whether it's through a cost-a-thon, recognition, gamification, and recognizing and rewarding those who, who deliver on the goals. So thank you all for sharing your experiences with us on innovating to optimize and very much appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the AWS for Software Companies podcast. For more conversations with global software leaders, subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please feel free to share these episodes on LinkedIn or other social media. Thanks again for listening.